so I, I don't know how you guys prepare, but um, for me, part of my, my preparation process, especially when it comes to preaching, is you get the, you get the assignment, right? You get the text, and um, it starts with prayer. I'm like, okay, Lord, what do you want me to say? And then the second thing I do, and this really isn't planned, it just always tends to happen, is I sit down at the dinner table with the family and just kind of walk through what I'm going to be talking about. So today is Palm Sunday, right? Like where you should be aware of that by now. Hopefully you know that. Um, today's Palm Sunday. And so I'm at the dinner table with the family. It's my wife and our two boys. And I jump in and I say, all right, guys, this Sunday I'm preaching on Palm Sunday. And immediately Nolan jumps in and interrupts and he goes, oh, yeah, I know that story, Dad. I go, really? And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus rides in on a colt, on a donkey, and he just goes all the way into Jerusalem, and they've got these palm branches that they wave, and people are cheering for him, and he rides in. Okay, this is interesting, because I have not read him this story. And he's just pulling this out, and I go, okay, well, I mean, shout out to Kids Place over there. So, I mean, he's learning, right? That's got to be, that's wonderful. And I go, okay, buddy. Um, I, I ask him, I say, okay, so, uh, well, you know, it's not really, uh, it's not a donkey, it's a colt. And he looks at me and he goes, dad, did you know a colt is a young donkey? (laughs) Okay. 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 I mean, my son is schooling me in Bible. That's fine. Uh, and then I go, well, why did he ride in on a donkey or a colt or whatever we're going to call it now? And he said, dad, the Bible's a big book. And in the beginning part, the really thick part, some people said that he was going to do that. And so he did. Okay. So he's, Nolan is two for two right now. I'm like, all right, buddy, like take it away, right? Grand slam. Let's make this happen. What, what's the main point? Like, why is this important? And he goes, I don't know. I just think it'd be fun to ride a donkey and have people cheer for me. <laughs> and then I thought, there it is. That's, that's the opener. Because I think for a lot of us, and here's where we're going. A lot of us, we, we know the story of Palm Sunday. We know Good Friday. We know Easter. And it's a phenomenal story. But the, the problem or the challenge for a lot of us is that we know the story. See, there's a difference between knowing the story and knowing the significance of the story. Or uh, knowing the details of the story, donkey, colt, whatever. But, but knowing what that has done for humanity. There's a difference there. And and the danger for people like me who do this for a living, who have grown up in church like many of you have, who have heard all of these stories, is simply that. We've just heard the stories and we can lose sight of the significance of it. The danger in Christianity for long-term Christians is is for these stories to simply become normal. And something we celebrate in the past. This thing happened in the past and we just celebrate it. Because after all, we're going to get together with family. We're going to eat some pretty good food. And I don't know, maybe you're going to decorate some eggs or do a little Easter egg hunt. And, you know, we're going to pray together and we'll go to church and we'll do all the things. And that could be precisely the problem is that we're doing all of the things because we know the story and we know how to celebrate. But we forget what the story has done and why we're celebrating the story. So the task for this morning is simply this, is for you and I to come to the Bible, to the two stories we're going to look at, as if we're reading them for the first time in the first century. It takes a little bit of work, but I, I think we can do, we can get there. We can, we can imagine ourselves in this situation, hearing these stories for the first time, maybe even in the moment or looking at them for the very first time and hearing and, and trying to connect dots along the way of, oh my goodness, what does this mean for reality? What does this mean for life? What, what has Jesus accomplished or what has he said? How does that change things today and tomorrow 
and the next tomorrow, and so on and so forth. So we're actually in week five in our series, and I want to just see, before we, we dive into today's topic, um, I want to see how well we're doing, how well we remember, because this is the context for the rest of where we're going. So um, pull out your scantrons, your number two pencils. We're going to do a pop quiz. Are you ready? That's about the response I got last time. You're like, wait, seriously, are we doing a test? Yeah, yeah, we're going to do a test. It's between you and God. You know, don't peek on your neighbor's paper or on their phone or anything like that. You and God, if we had cardboard little boxes, things, we would put those up in all the seats so there's no, like, peeking or checking or anything like that. But don't worry, this will be true or, true or false, okay? So we'll be fine. And if you miss it, um, you're a, a horrible Christian. No, I'm just kidding. You're not. You're totally fine. Okay, so here we go. Uh, and this is week one, right? True or false? True, true or false, Jesus' primary mission was to announce the availability of the kingdom of God. Keep it to yourself. Write T for true, or you can do the whole word, and F for false, or the whole word. But number one, Jesus' primary mission was to announce the availability of the kingdom of God. If you wrote true, you are correct. Give yourself a pat on the back. Nicely done. Some of you are like, well, wait a minute. What about the cross? Well, hold on. It's not Easter yet. We'll get there. We'll cover that. We'll, we'll see how all that stuff plays in. Um, number two, true or false? No human being is more or less valuable than the other. True or false? No human being is more or less valuable than the other. If you wrote true, you're correct. And remember, week two of our series, we looked at the Samaritan woman. How it seems like God tends to choose all the um, wrong people to do amazing things in his kingdom. And if you remember, she goes and tells her story and the community comes and puts their faith in Christ. Incredible story. Uh, week three, we'll change this question up just a hair, just to keep it spicy. Um, who is more truly blessed, the spiritually bankrupt or the self-righteous? I'll ask it again. Who is more truly blessed? I know the wording's weird, but it's important. The truly bankrupt or the, sorry, the spiritually bankrupt or the self-righteous? It's an either or. Think about it for a moment. The spiritually bankrupt are more blessed. Because, remember, Jesus is saying, hey, uh, it's the, the sick that need a doctor, not the healthy. I've come, I've come for them, for those people, right? We looked at the Beatitudes. And last week, Kurt preached, and uh, this will be an easy one. I think, I think we can get this one. Um, here it is, number four, true, true or false. As long as you don't say the mean, the mean thing or act on the thought, you're good. True or false. As long as you don't say the mean thing or act on your thought, you're good. It is false, right? We learned that, look, people look at the outside, right? But God is going to look at the heart. And out of, out of the heart, what's inside of us, the mouth is going to speak. And so um, this is a wonderful reminder because Easter is a time where family gets together. And there might be a moment where you were out of your heart, your mouth has spoken. And there could be a little bit of tension there, right? And so what, what was the, the remedy? What was the solution for the problem? Ask the Holy Spirit to clean us out to do his work within us so that we can be speaking words of life and truth and goodness and not um, family conflict. Let's hear it for family conflict. Okay, how'd you do? Anyone, you got three or more, right? Just out of curiosity? How many, okay, that was like four hands. How many of you didn't play? <laughs> Rude. Okay, if you got a Bible, jump into Mark. It's important that we do that review because it's going to set everything up here as we, as we turn into Palm Sunday and Easter. This is the story we're going to look at. We're actually going to look at one before the Palm Sunday story. It's called the Transfiguration. But this is one of those turning points in Scripture. If you're reading the book and you're like, oh man, it's really exciting, and everything is building and building and building, and then there's this turning point. Jesus has been, he's been talking, he's been teaching, he's been healing, been doing miracles, 
And he's explaining about the kingdom of God. And he's doing all of these things. And now it is time for him to pivot, to turn and start moving towards Jerusalem. And this is the scene in the gospel of Mark. This is that pivotal moment where everything shifts. So here we go. Um, Mark chapter 9. We'll pick it up in verse 2. Oh, let me show you a photo of it real quick just to set the scene. So... The first story is, traditionally, it takes place on Mount Tabar. We don't know where the transfiguration happened. And anyone that says that they do know, um, run from them. We don't know. We've been trying to figure out for 2,000 years. The Bible doesn't say. But traditionally, this is where it is. So I'm in line to just say it's here-ish. And here's why. Something is going to happen. We're going to read the story. It happens on Mount Tabar. And then there's this journey all the way down to Jerusalem. And things happen on this journey. This is a long journey. Conversations are going to be had. Life is going to be um, experienced. During this time. And so I want us to understand that there's a turning point in the gospel story. Here's the climax when we approach Easter, right? But something happens in between here that's really important. So with that in mind, just so we know the lay of the land and where we're at, go to Mark chapter 9 and we'll pick it up in verse 2. I know we're going to put it on the screen, but if you got a Bible, pull that baby out. If it's your phone or iPad, that's great. Um, we want you to treat your Bible like a textbook. Underline that thing, make notes in the margin because... Later on in life, you'll go through and you'll start reading the pages and you'll remember that and go, ah, and the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you. So, uh, wrong bottle. If Mark chapter 9, verse 2. It's hard to have a drink of water when the cap's on. Here we go. After six days, <coughs> excuse me, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was, here's our word, transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Better than mom, right? All the Clorox in the world couldn't get it looking as good as this. Now, this word transfigured is interesting. It literally means um, metamorphosis, to change. And Bible nerds like myself, we get really excited and we're like, oh, what does that mean? And we start researching and doing all these things. There's a lot of ideas out there, but, but here's the temptation is to go so far down the rabbit trail that we miss or the rabbit hole that we miss like the point of the story. And this is one of those stories where you could go down this avenue and this one and then this one and then this one and we'll, we'll lose sight of it. But it is kind of fun to speculate. So I, I want to do it with just a little bit and kind of share with us. Look, there are some trains of thought here um, as people are trying to figure out what does that actually mean? Um, that he transfigured or that he was, you know, shown incredibly bright. Some people, if we're like good first century Jews and we're reading this, we're immediately going to have pictures of Moses on the mountaintop as Jesus or as God is passing over him and Moses, his face shone. It was incredibly bright and people are going, oh, okay, there's a Moses theme somewhere in here. Other people think the transfiguration is um, a preview, if you will, of what Jesus is going to look like in his fullness, in full glory when he returns at the second coming. And it's fascinating to kind of look through these things and go, oh man, it may be this, it may be that. I don't know. But the point is something miraculous is happening. That's what we need to hang our hat, our hat on. We need to understand. So keep going. Verse 4. And there appeared before them, before the disciples, Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Now, again, if you're a first century Jew and you're reading this, you're like, no way. These are the Hall of Famers. These are the action heroes that you grew up playing with. Those little action figures are like, oh man, I want to lead like Moses, or I want to hear from God like Elijah. These, these are your people. If you had their baseball card, that would be worth so much money. To get a rookie baseball card of Moses. Whoa. I mean, the value of that is, it's big. This is incredible. And so a lot of people go, well, what are they talking about? We don't know. And that's not the point of the story. 
But it's fun to speculate. See, Moses was buried by God and Elijah didn't die. God snatched him up with fire. It's incredible. So some people think, oh, they're having a conversation about what does death look like? But we don't know. But isn't that really interesting and kind of fun? That's a rabbit trail we could totally get lost on, but that's not the point of the story at all. Don't get lost on those things. But what is it necessary to know is that Moses was a leader. He gave the Israelites the law, so how to behave. And he freed them, listen, he freed them from the Egyptian slavery and brought them to the promised land. This is important to know. Elijah was a prophet. He heard from God. God spoke to Elijah. Elijah relayed the message. So you have Jesus with two of the greats and you have all these themes going on. And remember, we're reading this for the first time with our first century glasses on right now. And something epic is about to happen. And Peter, you got to love Peter. He speaks up and he says, (laughs) he says to Jesus, Rabbi, it's really good to be here. I mean, what do you say? Jesus is beaming and you got the all stars right there. And you're like, wow, it's good to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Mo, and one for Elijah. Verse 6, and Mark lets us in on a little uh, tidbit. He says, look, he didn't know what to say, for they were so frightened. (laughs) And we would be too. I mean, Jesus in his glory, boom, and then dead guys. (laughs) These are the Hall of Famer. I can't can't do this story justice justice to, to explain how incredible this is. And what's fascinating is a lot of us, we pray for moments like these. We're like, oh man, could I just have a moment, even like, like a, a, an ounce of this, where I could see Jesus in this powerful way, or if I, maybe it was an angel, or if I could just see the heroes of old, you know, then I would have this, this mile marker in my mind and just know that, man, God moved and something epic happened here. Keep that thought in mind. Verse 7, then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. And again, first century Jews are like, this is the baptism. This is what happened, right? Holy Spirit descended like a dove. Not a dove, but like a dove. This is my son, whom I love. And then he's up there with Moses. Okay, Moses was the leader. He led them to freedom, showed them how to live. Elijah heard from God, spoke on God's behalf. Do you see what's happening here? And immediately people are connecting the dots. They're hearing the story and they're going, oh, what does this mean about Jesus? And Peter, it's interesting, Peter kind of gets a bad rap because he, he speaks out of turn and it's, if, it's as if God just jumps in and says, we're not even going to talk about the other two. We're going to talk about Jesus. And, and the cloud, the voice from the cloud says, this is my son. Spotlight on Jesus. Not on Moses. Not on Elijah, but on Jesus. This is my son. And he he tacks on this phrase at the end. He says, listen to him. It's incredible. So I I, got to give you the point and then we'll talk about it. Number one, in your notes, to listen means to obey. To listen means to obey. It's what, what God is after. He's not, hey, just intellectually agree that this is a good thing. That it's really good for you to be here. That's not what he's saying. He's saying Jesus is superior to these two rock stars. He he is ultimate. He is better than. Build a shelter for all three. Why? They're not on the same level. Uh, Listen, Moses and Elijah, down here. Jesus, my son, there's levels to this thing. And these two rock stars that you've loved forever, they're, they're nothing compared to Jesus. This is my son 
whom I love. Listen, meaning obey what he says. Live your life in such a way that the words of Christ are true in how you speak and how you act. That, that's what he's saying right here. And remember, you've got Peter, James, and John, three of them. They're sitting here. They're witnessing this. This is unbelievable. Nobody sees this. This doesn't happen on a daily basis. Something extraordinary is happening. And the voice of God says, this one, nobody else, but this one. You listen to him. And verse 8, suddenly when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. Poof, they're gone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they, what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. There's our little Easter hint right there. Verse 10. They kept the matter to themselves discussing what rising from the dead meant. They kept the first part. Like, we're not going to talk about it. The whole transfiguration thing. Mm, I don't know. Weird. Crazy. Incredible. But the rising from the dead, they're kind of like, I don't what is, huh? What do we do with that? So verse 11. They asked him, why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? I mean, we just saw him. Just boop, right there, and then poof, he disappeared. Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? Again, he's hinting. We're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. Verse 13, but I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it was written about him. And what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, no, John the Baptist is the Elijah figure that you've all been looking for. He paved the way and then he died. He paved the way for me and I'm going to die. They still don't get it. See, they're listening intellectually, but they're not living their life in such a way that the words of Jesus Christ are true and how they think and how they view the world and how they conduct themselves. They still don't get it. And so number two, this is the last point of this story, and we'll pivot into the Palm Sunday story. Number two, Jesus is now God's authorized leader and spokesperson. Because of the transfiguration, because of what has happened, God has declared not those two guys, but Jesus. He's the leader. He's the spokesperson. How are you supposed to live your lives? Well, look to your leader. Well, what does God say about humanity? We'll, we'll look to God's spokesperson. In, in essence, everything is in Jesus. Look to Jesus. He is the answer for everything. He is far better than anybody else. If you need help, if you need wisdom, if you need guidance, if you need someone to jump in and save you, you go to Jesus. You don't go to anyone else. You don't even go to Moses or Elijah. The greatest of the greats. You go to Jesus. You listen to him. There's a a, a wisdom in here for you and I. Um, Sometimes in Christianity, this has been true of me. Um, If I'm in a situation in life, I will go to a friend and ask for some wisdom. Or um, I'll read a blog. Or I'll buy someone's book who's an expert in the field. And then I go, I should probably jump to the scriptures, right? So I get my Bible app and I read a devotion based on a scripture. And then I read the scripture. And then I go, I should probably pray about it. Listen, if Jesus is the spokesperson for God, if he is the leader, I ought to go there first. Are you with me? Everything else is color commentary. And when I put him off on the back burner and I say, well, I'll turn to Jesus at the very end if no one else says anything that, you know, makes me feel good inside or whatever. Um, man, what does that say about my faith? It says, listen, it says that I'm listening to him. I'm not living my life as if I'm listening to him. And Jesus Jesus is trustworthy. Why? Because he's greater and better than Moses and Elijah. 
And again, Easter is about to happen, but it hasn't happened in our story yet. That's another reason Jesus is super trustworthy. Okay, so let's keep going. I, I showed you earlier the map. I want to show you one more time. He's right here, right? Mount Tabor. They're coming down the mountain and they're on the journey to Jerusalem. Now, in Jesus' fashion, he's teaching, he's healing. And you don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it to you. He predicts his death a second time in case it was unclear to all the guys. In Mark 9, verse 31, Jesus said to them, the son of man, he's referring to himself, is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. He, he does it a second time, but in more detail. Hey, in case you missed the first one, in case you missed when I hinted to you on the mountain thing with the transfiguration, I'm, I'm going to die. And then in three days, I'm going to rise. And then verse 32 says this, but they didn't understand what he meant. And they were afraid to ask them. These are guys that hung out with Jesus day in and day out. They listened to his teachings. They had campfires on the beach, roasting and cooking fish. They've seen the miracles of Jesus. They've watched him heal people. They've watched him cast out demons. They've, the amazing, amazing things have happened. And, and they're missing it. They're missing it. There's a lesson in there for you and I. We need to make sure that we don't miss this. We have to hear, we have to understand that Jesus, Jesus is the authority figure and nobody else. Now, Jesus is smart. He's planned this out as he's going, oh, it's gone. But anyways, as he's going down from Mount Tabar on his way to Jerusalem, he arrives in Jerusalem during Passover. And again, if you're reading this for the first time, you're like, no way. He timed this perfectly. And here's why. There's about 2 million Jews in Jerusalem during Passover. And if you were to incite a, um, an uprising or riot, that's a really good time to do it. Your people are with you. But here's what's fascinating about this. Um, Passover is the celebration. We're going to go back to Moses. Passover is the celebration. If you, you remember in the book of Exodus, the Israelites are slaves to Egypt. And you have all the plagues, right? Um, if you haven't read it, just Prince of Egypt, right? Yeah, you've seen it. So this is happening right now. And the last one is Passover. And the whole idea was this, that you would go and you would find a lamb... You would sacrifice the lamb and the blood of the lamb you would put over your doorpost. And at night, the angel of death will pass over your home if you have the blood of the lamb. And if you don't, the angel of death will take the life of the firstborn, firstborn male. Thus, the Passover. And so what do they do? They do this, right? The angel of death passes over. Pharaoh loses his mind and says, go on, get, get out. And Moses leads them. They cross the Red Sea. They're no longer slaves. They are free people. And so Bethlehem, a city nearby, is um, they have these, these pens, these pastures, these fields of lambs that are specifically raised for Passover. They're spotless. They are in mint condition. They're not defiled in any way. They are perfect, and they watch them, and they raise them for this moment. And if something happens to them, if one of them gets injured or something just doesn't look like, they get kicked out of the pen because only the purest of the pure can be here. The amount of money that is exchanged and made at this time is phenomenal. Again, two million, roughly two million people are here. This is big. There's a ton of people. And Jesus, greater than Moses, greater than Elijah, is coming to Jerusalem. Now push pause on it. Passover, spotless lamb, death, blood. Are we connecting dots? Things are happening here. 
Things are happening here. So Mark 11, verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt or, or a donkey tied there, which, one has ever, or which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. I love this because it's like the Easter story begins with a, uh, like a borrowing of a lamb or I'm sorry, of a donkey. And I think it's funny. I mean, he, he's not stealing it, right? He gives it back when they're done, but like it, it feels like it's being stolen. But look, look at the faith of the disciples. They're walking in and Jesus goes, Hey, you two go, go get a, uh, go get this donkey. I need it. Well, where is it? It's tied up over there. And if someone asks, Hey, what are you doing? Just say the Lord needs it and bring it on back. Tell him you'll return it when we're done. Okay. And they do. Like, if it were today, if it were today, Jesus would roll into town and he would go, hey, I need you to get that Tesla parked in that guy's garage. Never been driven. Fresh off the delivery truck, right in there. Just go get it. So they do. And they go and they fire that baby up. And the owner goes, what are you doing with the Tesla? And they're like, well, Jesus needs it. We'll bring it back. And the guy goes, okay. <laughs> I mean, just think of it. An unsung hero. I mean, think of this. You don't know his name. You don't know the story. He just has a donkey, mint condition. The Lord needs it, and he offers it up. The, the trust, the faith, is, is beautiful. It's beautiful, and I just, I love that. I wonder how many of us have those stories where, like, we do the smallest thing. And in, in, in the book that's still being written, you know, when we get up to heaven and we watch the DVDs and we're just seeing how this whole thing plays out, I wonder what moments you and I will have of just... Man, simple faith, but epic, epic responses. I think it's fascinating. That's not the point. We could get lost on that. That's a whole different sermon, but man, he lets it go. Verse four. So they went and they found the colt outside in the street, tied to the doorway. And as they untied it, um, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let him go. Awesome. Verse 7, when they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, now listen, this is crucial, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Now, Hosanna means God save. Jesus is riding in. It's Passover, the time of sacrificial lamb, of the exodus. They're free. Now, the Jews are not enslaved by Egypt, but Rome is a superpower. All these dots, all these connections are coming together, and they're saying, Hosanna, and they're saying, God, save us, and they're pointing to Jesus. Riding in on a donkey. Kings would enter into cities this way, stallions, but Jesus takes the humble row on the donkey. Everything is coming together. And Jesus, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now listen, all the Jews there came in the name of the Lord. You and I, when we come to church on Sunday, we're, we're coming in the name of the Lord. We're here to worship him. This is what's happening. But, but look at, there's many people, not everyone in the town, but many people are saying, blessed is that man. He has come in the name of the Lord. They're signaling him out. They're calling him out. They're saying, this guy, there is something different about this one. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Israel was at its highest point. Influence, freedom, a wonderful time to be an Israelite. And so many people are thinking, oh man, are we about to take this upside down kingdom and make it right side up? 
Are we going to rise up? Again, there's two million of us here. We could do this thing. We could do it. And then what's the last one? He says, Hosanna in the highest heaven. Essentially saying, God, from your throne, would you come down from heaven, off your throne, and come down here to earth and save us? Everything is coming together right at this moment. And I love, listen, I love how this ends. Verse 11. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple courts. He looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. He walks in. He sees the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, the high priests. And he looks at them and they look at him. What's that movie? Uh, Clint Eastwood. My sound effects are terrible. But Jesus walks into the temple of the courts and... You know what I'm talking about? You know that movie? My sound effects are terrible, but you know what I mean? Like he's standing there and he's like, I want you to know that I know that you see me and I see you. Deuces. I'm going to go camp outside with the common folk. How epic is that? That's incredible. He's causing a scene. He's stirring everything up. Something is about to go down. And here it is. Point number three. This is so important for us. Be careful that our traditions and celebrations don't keep us from missing out on what God is doing in the moment. It's long, but I'll say it again. Be careful that our traditions and celebrations don't keep us from missing out on what God is doing in the moment. The Pharisees, the high priest, man, everyone's waiting for a Messiah. They all want the Messiah, and here he is, and they don't see it. Now, many of the other people do, right? That's why they're claiming or, or shouting out and saying, Hosanna, save us. This is a big deal. People see it, but not all two million. They're celebrating something. They're living in anticipation. By the way, they've been celebrating Passover for centuries now. They're waiting for this thing, and here it is, and they're missing the moment. Friends, the warning for you and I, for every church, is that, man, as soon as we clock a lot of Easter's under our belt, we can miss out on what God has done and as and as, what God has done and is doing in the moment. That was hard to say. This is really, really important because Easter, if we allow it, becomes something we celebrated. It, it's something that God did way back then. And we're so thankful for it, and we are, truthfully, from the bottom of our heart, but, but that happened way back then. What's God doing now? He, he's moving. He's doing something. He's active. He's healing. The kingdom of heaven is moving. All these things, like, God is alive and well. But if our Easter celebrations, our Holy Week, our Good Fridays and Palm Sundays, if it's just about a thing with a story that we've heard long ago, we're missing it. We're, we're not listening to Jesus. We're simply intellectually believing the story. And friends, my hope, my prayer for us, and I know it is yours as well, that man, that this just wouldn't be a thing that we celebrate. Christmas can have this... Uh, this pull as well, can't it? How many Christmases have you celebrated? May, may, may these stories never become just news. Christmas changed the world. Easter has changed the world. And because of Jesus Christ, everyone has access to a relationship with God. Friends, this is Good news. So here's the question we have to ask ourselves. So, okay, what does the cross do for today? We know what it did back then. What's it do for us today and tomorrow and the next tomorrow? 
And to answer that question, you have to come back next week for part two. (laughs) Because it did some stuff, and we're going to celebrate Easter, and it's going to be amazing. But here's how we're going to end today, so it's not a a cliffhanger. Um, I'm going to invite the band up, and they're going to lead us in a song. And I want us to take the words of these songs, the truths that we are going to proclaim, and I want that to be the things that you and I meditate on throughout the week. So we can prepare our hearts so that the story doesn't become just a story, but it is reality for our lives. Because Jesus has died for my sins, he has conquered death, and he rose three days later, and that has changed my life and all of humanity if we would allow it. We have to get in the thought process and realize that there is good news, not just back then in Easter when it happened, but there's good news for today. And this song, if we allow it, is going to um, help us enter into that. So when Easter comes, we don't just celebrate what happened. We're celebrating in the moment what God is doing. So will you stand with me and we'll pray and, and we'll worship God? Lord, as we come before you, God, may we not miss what you are doing in this room, in this space, for people watching online, what you are doing in their lives. I pray, Lord, that the lyrics of this song would be a declaration. They would be true in our hearts. Father, would you speak to us this week? We don't simply want to go to another appointment at church and sing songs and celebrate, God. We want our lives to be radically changed. So Holy Spirit, move inside of us. Eliminate distractions that need to be eliminated. Father, may we focus on you this week because what we're celebrating this week has changed everything. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.